Chapter Four of the Life of Clara Barton, Volume One by William Barton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four Her Parentage and Infancy. Captain Stephen Barton won his military title by that system of post-bellum promotion familiar in all American communities. He was a non-commissioned officer in the war against the Indians. He was nineteen when he enlisted, and marched on foot with his troop from Boston to Philadelphia, which at that time was the nation's capital. The main army was then at Detroit, under command of General Wayne, whom the soldiers lovingly knew as Mad Anthony. William Henry Harrison and Richard M. Johnson, later President and Vice President of the United States, were then lieutenants, and Stephen Barton fought side by side with them. He was present when Tecumseh was slain, and at the signing of the Treaty of Peace which followed. His military service extended over three years. At the close of the war, he marched home on foot through northern Ohio and central New York. He and the other officers were greatly charmed by the Genesee and Mohawk Valleys, and he purchased land somewhere in the vicinity of Rochester. He had some thought of establishing a home in that remote region, but it was so far distant from civilization that he sold his New York land and made his home in Oxford. In 1796, Stephen Barton returned from the Indian War. He was then 22 years of age. Eight years later, he married Sarah Stone, who was only 17. They established their home west of Oxford, near Charlton, and later removed to the farm where Clara Barton was born. It was a modest home, and Stephen Barton was a hard-working man, though a man of influence in the community. He served often as moderator of town meetings and as selectman for the town. He served also as a member of the legislature, but he wrought with his own hands in the tillage of his farm and in the construction of most of the articles of furniture in his home, including the cradle in which his children were rocked. Stephen Barton combined a military spirit with a gentle disposition and a broad spirit of philanthropy. Sarah Stone was a woman of great decision of character and a quick temper. She was a housewife of the good old New England sort, looking well to the ways of her household, and eating not the bread of idleness. From her father, Clara Barton inherited those humanitarian tendencies which became notably characteristic, and from her mother she derived a strong will which achieved results almost regardless of opposition. Her mother's hot temper found its restraint in her through the inherited influence of her father's poise and benignity. Of him she wrote, His military habits and tastes never left him. Those were also strong political days, 
Andrew Jackson days, and very naturally my father became my instructor in military and political lore. I listened breathlessly to his war stories. Illustrations were called for, and we made battles and fought them. Every shade of military etiquette was regarded. Colonels, captains, and sergeants were given their proper place and rank. So with the political world, the president, cabinet, and leading officers of the government were learned by heart, and nothing gratified the keen humor of my father more than the parrot-like readiness with which I lisped these difficult names. I thought the president might be as large as the meeting-house, and the vice-president perhaps the size of the schoolhouse. And yet, when later I, like all the rest of our country's people, was suddenly thrust into the mysteries of war, and had to find and take my place and part in it, I found myself far less a stranger to the conditions than most women, or even ordinary men for that matter. I never addressed a colonel as captain, got my cavalry on foot, or mounted my infantry. When a little child upon his knee, he told me that, as he lay helpless in the tangled marshes of Michigan, the muddy water oozed up from the track of an officer's horse and saved him from death by thirst, and that a mouthful of a lean dog that had followed the march saved him from starvation. When he told me how the feathered arrow quivered in the flesh and the tomahawk swung over the white man's head, he told me also, with tears of honest pride, of the great and beautiful country that had sprung up from those wild scenes of suffering and danger. How he loved these new states, for which he gave the strength of his youth. Two sons and two daughters were born to Stephen and Sarah Barton in their early married life. Then for ten years no other children were born to them. On Christmas, 1821, their eldest daughter, Dorothy, was as old as her mother had been at the time of their marriage. Their eldest son, Stephen, was fifteen. The younger son, David, was thirteen, and the daughter, Sally, was ten. The family had long considered itself complete when the household received Clara as a Christmas present. Her brothers and sisters were too old to be her playmates. They were her protectors, but not her companions. She was a little child in the midst of a household of grown-up people, as they seemed to her. In her little book entitled The Story of My Childhood, she thus describes her brothers and sisters. I became the seventh member of a household consisting of the father and mother, two sisters and two brothers, each of whom for his and her intrinsic merits and special characteristics deserves an individual history, which it shall be my conscientious duty to portray as far as possible as these pages progress. For the present, it is enough to say that each one manifested an increasing personal interest in the newcomer, 
and as soon as developments permitted, set about instructing her in the various directions most in accord with the tastes and pursuits of each. Of the two sisters, the elder was already a teacher. The younger followed soon, and naturally my book education became their first care, and under these conditions it is a little to say that I have no knowledge of ever learning to read, or of a time that I did not do my own story reading. The other studies followed very early. My elder brother, Stephen, was a noted mathematician. He inducted me into the mystery of figures. Multiplication, division, subtraction, halves, quarters, and wholes soon ceased to be a mystery, and no toy equaled my little slate. But the younger brother had entirely other tastes, and would have none of these things. My father was a lover of horses, and one of the first in the vicinity to introduce blooded stock. He had large lands for New England. He raised his own colts, and Highlanders, Virginians, and Morgans pranced the fields in idle contempt of the solid old farm horses. Of my brother David, to say that he was fond of horses describes nothing. One could almost add that he was fond of nothing else. He was the Buffalo Bill of the surrounding country, and here commences his part of my education. It was his delight to take me, a little girl of five years old, to the field, seize a couple of those beautiful young creatures, broken only to the halter and bit, and gathering the reins of both bridles firmly in hand, throw me upon the back of one colt, spring upon the other himself, and catching me by one foot and bidding me cling fast to the mane, gallop away over field and fen, in and out among the other colts in wild glee like ourselves. They were merry rides we took. This was my riding school. I never had any other, but it served me well. To this day, my seat on a saddle or on the back of a horse is as secure and tireless as in a rocking chair, and far more pleasurable. Sometimes in later years, when I found myself suddenly on a strange horse in a trooper's saddle, flying for life or liberty in front of pursuit, I blessed the baby lessons of the wild gallops among the beautiful colts. One of the bravest of women, Clara Barton was a child of unusual timidity. Looking back upon her earliest recollections, she said, I remember nothing but fear. Her earliest memory was of her grief in failing to catch a pretty bird when she was two and a half years old. She cried in disappointment, and her mother ran to learn what was the trouble. On hearing her complaint that Baby had lost a pretty bird, which she had almost caught, her mother asked, Where did it go, Baby? Baby indicated a small round hole under the doorstep, and her mother gave a terrified scream. 
that scream awoke terror in the mind of the little girl, and she never quite recovered from it. The bird she had almost caught was a snake. Her next memory also was one of fear. The family had gone to a funeral, leaving her in the care of her brother David. She told of it afterward as follows. I can picture the large family sitting room with its four open windows, which room I was not to leave, and my guardian was to remain near me. Some outside duty called him from the house, and I was left to my own observations. A sudden thunder shower came up. Massive rifts of clouds rolled up in the east, and the lightning darted among them like blazing fires. The thunder gave them language, and my terrified imagination endowed them with life. Among the animals of the farm was a huge old ram that doubtless upon some occasion had taught me to respect him, and of which I had a mortal fear. My terrors transformed those rising, rolling clouds into a whole heaven full of angry rams marching down upon me. Again my screams alarmed, and the poor brother, conscience-stricken that he had left his charge, rushed breathless in to find me on the floor in hysterics, a condition of things he had never seen, and neither memory nor history relates how either of us got out of it. In these later years I have observed that writers of sketches in a friendly desire to compliment me, have been wont to dwell upon my courage, representing me as personally devoid of fear, not even knowing the feeling. However correct that may have become, it is evident I was not constructed that way, as in the earlier years of my life I remember nothing but fear. End of chapter 4